today on Doomed. The long-awaited decision is finally here. Is Trump back on Facebook? Or is the former president banned from the social network forever? Well, what if I told you Facebook's oversight board technically had decided neither? I highly doubt Mark Zuckerberg is happy with the outcome of this one. On this episode of Doomed with Matt Binder, Shireen Mitchell, founder of Stop Online Violence Against Women and member of the Real Facebook Oversight Board, joins the show to break down what happened and what it all means. And without further ado, we'll jump right in. Let me pull myself and Shireen up on the video feed here. Uh, and here we are. Shereen Mitchell, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting one. Now, I, I actually uh, had uh, an episode about Facebook last week, and this one was about the uh, the leaked internal memo that came out that BuzzFeed News got a hold of that basically looked where Facebook was looking at internally how they failed to stop the Stop the Steal movement, <coughs> which then, of course, right. ended up leading to the January 6th storming of the Capitol. And I usually try not to do, you know, two episodes on one company, at least back to back. But then the oversight board on Monday, after that last episode, comes out and says they're going to come out with this announcement on this long-awaited Trump decision in two days. And, of course, that happened yesterday, and I, I had to cover it, and I'm so glad you're joining me now to talk about this. Now, I guess before we jump into the decision, uh, can you explain to people who might not be familiar with what the Facebooks uh, – well, I, I, it's going to get confusing, I think, until we, dis we, we discuss this part. Can yeah. you discuss what Facebook's oversight board is and then discuss what your group is, the real Facebook oversight board? Absolutely. So what Facebook decided to do was have what they considered an independent or third party uh, group of people, about 20 people or so, uh, to uh, decide whether or not the, the processes of suspending or banning people uh, was adequate, uh, particularly for contentious uh, debates, which in some ways, um, in my opinion, this is my opinion, basically gives it off to someone else instead of the organization themselves and Zuckerberg himself to be held accountable for the actions that are happening on, on, on the platform that he designed. Um, the, that oversight board is still connected to the organization. Uh, those people are paid by the organization. Um, and so even though um, there's more international people there than American, um, which I think was the point, um, it, the, the goal was to sort of have a global perspective on what decisions the the um, company was making in terms of content moderation. And basically their charge is only content moderation. This is not a group of people who are focused on the business model. This is not a group of people who are paying attention with, to what the political ads are or what the disinformation is. Uh, there's, you know, they, they don't have any of those charges. Their only charge is about content moderation, which is a different, we can have a different conversation about that because that's only one part of the overall problem with Facebook. Um, but that's their charge. And the goal is to have certain cases um, that are able to go through appeals as if there was a, I don't know, like, a, like in America, like there's a state uh, court and then there, there's an appeals process and then it goes to the 
the Supreme Court. Like, that's kind of the model they think they were creating. But um, there's no state appeals here. And this is just them um, outside of um, their own sort of decision-making process that they felt like internally for some reason that they weren't able to do on their own, which I, I have a problem with and I don't agree with that. They have the power to make these decisions. Um, and then the real Facebook Oversight Board, of which I'm a member of, are um, a co you know a coalition of people who are also uh, international um, with perspectives of experiences from journalists to data scientists like myself uh, to organizers um, such as ADL and Color Change and researchers um, as, a, as a, uh, for example, Sophia Noble and um, people like Maria Ressa who experienced some of the major you know, aspects of what these platforms can do. And, and she got arrested uh, because of some of that disinformation that gets spread on these platforms. So we came together to as, as extremely outside of the organization, looking at the decisions that are being made, um, looking at the communities that we are a part of. Um, our organization tracks the way in which these platforms, uh, Facebook in particular, in this instance, um, suspends and bans black and brown women for simple things like saying white people um, and how how there's a disproportionate um, way in which the uh, the uh, content moderation system has been used uh, depending on who you are, what status you have. Um, and hopefully we'll talk more about that. But that's the reason why there there is a distinct difference. We are not associated with Facebook. We're trying to hold Facebook accountable. Right, right. Now, I think also I want to I want to really um, stress the fact that the Facebook Oversight Board, Facebook's uh, independent body, uh, the it's funded by Facebook. Yes. And the members of this Oversight Board, the members of this independent body, put on there by Facebook. And I mean, I, I doesn't I mean I I know they say that these members make the decisions on their own without any uh, enforcement or, or pressure from the 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 uh, main company apparatus. But I mean, they're on there because the company put them there. Yes. And so let's now we'll we'll get back to a lot of what we you just mentioned before. But I, I want to now jump into the decision that. Uh, people were waiting for since, well, January 21st when uh, Facebook made the decision to, on their own, kick the final word to the oversight board on Donald Trump's uh, suspension. Now, they suspended him uh, the day after January 6th in the wake of the storming of the Capitol, which saw a violent Trump mob break into the building and five people died that day. Yeah. Um, and Facebook said that they had suspended Trump because he was inciting violence, which we could get into some of the previous things he said over the past year or more uh, later on. Uh, but that was their reason for January 6th. And so they kicked this to the Facebook oversight board, the independent body, and they basically say, this decision is too big for us, so that's why we sent it to the oversight board. Uh, Again, we could talk about that, too, in a minute. Uh, but what did the oversight board decide yesterday when they finally came out with this long-awaited decision? Um, I, the fact that it took them four months to come up with this decision, it, on its uh, in, in, in a nutshell, uh, it, they could have made the same decision like a week later. Um, so basically what they said is that Facebook was right in suspending him, but 
the penalty of indefinite suspension is the, is something that Facebook has to deal with, making sure their policies are clear about. So this isn't a ban. Like the first thing that comes out from media is like he got banned or he's or the or the status of his ban is, is still in existence. This isn't a ban. This is a suspension that's basically temporary. That means, um, and they also suggested in six months that they clean up their own um, systems around who gets banned, who doesn't, how their moderation process or penalties should exist, because none of that is clear. Um, and that in six months to revisit this and decide what kind of status he actually has. Is he suspended or is he banned? Is basically the question that was kicked back to Facebook. So the, the argument that they have is that the uh, content that they suspended him over was problematic and the decision that they made was accurate. But the penalty of indefinite suspension is debatable. Right, right. And the thing, too, that they mentioned that I thought was really interesting was that Facebook's own guidelines make no mention of an indefinite suspension as right. a penalty. Like they basically just made up this designation for Trump. I mean, in my estimation, they didn't want to say that they outright banned him. Right. Uh, and, and or they wanted to keep the door open by saying it was an indefinite suspension for his eventual return, maybe sometime down the line. Um, either way, uh, it, it really shines a light on how they didn't want to make this hard decision and why they sent it to the Facebook oversight board to begin with. And then the ultimate irony is that this board that was completely set up uh, with the whole foundation of it being so Facebook doesn't have to make these hard decisions basically – blows up in Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's face and says, uh, you got to make the decision because we're not making it for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so um, the way that the, the oversight board is designed um, is that whatever decision that they make, it is basically something that he's not supposed to be able to overturn or have any um, actions on. And, and, and when I read the, the original you know, format of this, it was to give him absolution about any decision that he made. So it was like, it would be binding whatever decision that they made. So it's funny that they made this sort of two-part decision. Everybody was looking for a simple yes or no, and so was probably Zuckerberg himself. And that's not what came out of this. And I think that um, some of the things I've heard some of the board members speak about after this decision was that um, for them, they were asking for more clarity and asking Facebook to do different things and they haven't gotten responses that they want, so it makes it difficult for them to make some of the decisions that they are being asked to make. Um, but that still, in my opinion, um, doesn't matter because the decision is, is still based on Zuckerberg's decision uh, in his company. Um, so to me, um, the, this, this was a little bit of a punt, um, but it was also sort of a conversation that says, well, you know, the terms of service or their community standards are not clear enough and penalties aren't clear enough, and that Facebook needs to come up with something consistent. And if they're going to make up a, a, a penalty like they did with, with him, um, that means that they can make up any penalty as they go, and that should be clear in their standards as well. Right, right. And, and, and like you mentioned earlier, they could have made this decision in like a week. Instead, they took four months. The Facebook Oversight Board, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg announced its formation back in 2018. Yeah. And then it wasn't until uh, this past uh, last spring, uh, spring 2020, 
did they actually start putting members on the board? And yes. then it wasn't until December of last year that they actually announced the first cases that the board was going to take up. And then in the next month, January of 2021, this year, that's when they came out with the uh, their their rulings on all those first cases, yeah. Which which shows that you know they haven't been around for. So, so my point here is that they haven't been around for all that long. And then number two, uh, they were able to come to the decision on six different cases in a matter of a month, whereas this one, you know, they basically didn't come to a decision in four months, like you mentioned. It was a decision that could have been made in in, in no time. They, they say they had nine thousand uh, plus public comments they had to go through. I mean, there's a lot of public comments to go through and still not come to a decision. <laughs> I know it's it, it's really, you know, it's like I would have loved to know like what was I mean, I think they published the actual pub, the public comments. I would have liked to know how many how many of those comments was leaning one way or the other in terms of this decision. Um, and, and for us to know, like for, for them, like why they made the decision based on that. Was it the weight of the comments on one side versus the other? Um, but the other thing that I want to say is that. Let's just be clear that uh, this oversight board, the real Facebook oversight board, was formed in September. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that they finally took cases mm, two months later. Um, so, so pressured. Yeah, they pressured. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, like, so when we think about, like, some of the reasons that they do certain things, you know, unfortunately, even this um, seems like to be a little bit of a PR move. With some expectation that would give some absolution, um, and and I do feel that like this case was more high profile as, as they wanted to define it. But the truth is, um, I've haven't seen many cases that they've taken up that wasn't sort of a kind of high high profile case in certain countries uh, um, on certain issues. So it it feels to me that the cases are go that's going to the um, oversight board are those that they deem. Um, you know that they're going to have uh, PR problems with it, and they're they're trying to come up with a quote unquote independent decision. Um, and I just don't see um, that happening if it's if it's you know funded by Facebook itself. Right, right. And, and one thing I saw online when this, when this decision came out, and I think a lot of uh, you know a lot of people overall misunderstood it. But from a lot of uh, conservatives I saw online who misunderstood it. You know, they were automatically uh, claiming that the oversight board, uh, Facebook's oversight board, is made up of like you know liberals and commies and you know, and it's like uh, if you look at the what the boards make up, I mean, it's a very international uh, 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 membership in terms of people who aren't um, basically stuck in the sort of U.S.'s political ideology right. ideological spectrum. Also, the vice president of the Cato Institute's on the board. I mean, this is uh, so when they do throw an American on the board, they went with uh, an American who's on the board of a very conservative group in this country. Um, yes. So, I mean, it's not like this is like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg decided to put, uh, you know, Media Matters and Right Wing Watch uh, members on the board, you know, um, although, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been so bad. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> You know, they didn't want it to seem that they were biased, although although the Cato Institute says bias to me. I don't know about you. All right. Well, the but. Cato Institute is a beloved American institution, obviously, that no one <laughs> would would ever look at as bipartisan. Um, but, you know, I, I, we're talking I think we're right now. The conversation is talking within the confines of the oversight board existing and actually um, having uh, this sort of power 
over Facebook. I mean, I know we, uh, and I guess I should mention to people that, you know, these content moderation decisions that the Oversight Board makes, they are just for these specific cases. Um, like, mm-hmm. Facebook is bound to, like, if the Oversight Board said Trump must be let back on the platform, if, if that's what they decided, Facebook would have been bound to let him back on the platform. Mm-hmm. But all those policy recommendations that the Facebook Oversight Board gives, along with that specific individual content ruling, are just suggestions. Mm-hmm. Facebook is not bound to listen to those at all. And the funny thing is, like, really, on a broader sense, who cares about the individual cases? What really matters are these broad policy suggestions that would affect people like you, me, and everybody else on the platform. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is a, a, a joke. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the, the interesting part is like the choices of the cases are not something that the board can do, which is interesting, right? They're not plucking from the list themselves to say, Here's a case that we're, we're, we're going to choose to to look at. They're also being sent those cases by Facebook. So again, cases sent by Facebook, funded by Facebook, and somehow they're supposed to have a charge on content moderation, send back a decision that's supposed to be binding, but any other recommendations about what should be done different on the platform, what the moderation process should should look like, again, the business model, anything like that, political, the the, uh, any conversations around the political ads or the disinformation in political ads, they have no charge there. Right. Now, before we move outside of uh, this, uh, you know, I guess this reality that the Facebook oversight group is uh, this body that gets to make these decisions, and we talk more broadly about Facebook itself, I, I, I do want to um, mention that I, I actually think that the oversight board ruling is a good one for uh, everybody but Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Because A, it it sort of forces Facebook to make this decision. And then B, I actually think, you know, when they when they said that um that, you know, uh they said that they needed Facebook to decide whether what Trump said is uh is the punishment that they dealt out fit what he actually did. And then they have to levy that to everybody. They actually have to dole out that penalty to everybody equally. Now, to me, I think this puts them in a real bind because, and this might be, you know, it's people who watch this show. People might not expect me to have this sort of take on this specific thing, but uh, I personally think this puts them in a bind because when you look at what Trump said uh, that day, January 6th, and this is just my opinion, and you put it in line with other things he said, I mean, obviously, what he said in the context of what was going on out there at the Capitol building is horrible. But what he actually said, in my point of view, compared to previous things he's tweeted, uh, tweeted or posted on Facebook, it's it's not as bad as stuff he put out previously that Facebook let slide. So to me, it's incredible that they would have to ban uh, Trump and then also decide that this would be something that they would rule against everybody. You know, again, what Trump said that day was he basically called these people patriots and said, you'll remember this day forever. You know, sort of, uh, you know, they were already there doing it at this point, uh, you know, doing the their, their violent riot at this point. Um, but he was sort of uh, uh, promoting it and egging it on. But 
he previously did much worse that Facebook was like, eh, this isn't a problem. And I guess this is where we could segue. Uh, first, let me let you uh, uh, comment on that. And then we could segue into what I want to talk about specifically what I have in mind is the uh, the Trump comments that came last summer uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Because, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me get your, your feelings on what I just said about how, to me, what Trump said on January 6th might put Facebook in a corner to, le- to, to, to dole out permanent bans for what doesn't really amount to what I think is a, 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 a crime worthy of that punishment. So <clears throat> my opinion, if you want my opinion, is that that's the reason why they picked those. Because that series of words get, gets to fall into freedom of speech arguments. It, it was not a mistake to pick those and use those as the example, but talk about the, the horrible things that was happening at the insurrection, right? Like those two things can have, uh, you know, on, you know, uh, you know it's, it's sort of saying, well, there was this online thing that was being said and we saw this offline reaction. So there may be some correlation here because they're related on this day. Like this is the correlation that we can actually have. But what they're doing also is saying, but those words are not actually incitement to violence, right? right? The looting starts, the shooting starts is. Right. Right? So they have terms that they're using that says, well, this will fall into a middle ground where, you know, two sides will debate this and we won't have to worry about um, really banning him. Like they were, I, my opinion is that they were opening their own doors for the one, the, the penalty like to me, that's what Facebook does in general with most of these decisions. But like, yeah, with the penalty, made up penalty, it wasn't suspension; it was indefinite suspension, a made up penalty for that moment. Um, they picked the few, you know, for that day that you know could be debatable if you had to take those words to court, which is what they consider their oversight board. That they, you know, that group of people would be debating over: is this really? Um, if if this was just the words by themselves, would it matter? Which is the question that you asked, right? Right. Um, I mean, that's that's what that is. If these were alone and people didn't die, would these words really be problematic? If we're going to worry about incitement to violence, don't we also have to worry about that part? Um, and he didn't say anything that was really insightful, you know, was it? And so when you say that they puts them in the binds, I see them looking for a way out. It leaves a window. Right. What I do think is the oversight board decision puts them in a bind now because now it's a Facebook job. And so they have to now make the decision of putting, putting him back on or not. And I don't think he ever wanted to be held accountable for that. And so that to me is where like, I, they, my opinion, they're going to take six months. But with everything else that this man has done, breaking the terms of service and community standards for the last four years, I, that's an easy decision. But what they're saying is, is that if we're going to use it based on this content specifically, then that decision becomes sort of um, up in the air. Right. You know, it's the, it's, the same, it's the same thing that he did, right? Charlottesville, they're very fine people on both sides. So Facebook is just employing the same, this is, you know, both sides argument, you know, this decision can be hard depending on which side you choose. Um, when, you know, people die, um, when on their platform, um, 
the, when they didn't respond to the organizing of shoot them all in Kenosha, people died. Um, you know, it's this sense of like, we're going to pay attention to the, the most marginalized free speech argument, but the rest of it where other people are being harmed and targeted and marginalized, um, that somehow we're not going to have that hard conversation because that conversation should be simple, but we're just not going to make it a, a PR conversation. We're just going to sort of pretend like we're going to have a real conversation about free speech because Facebook right now spends a lot of energy trying to compare free speech and safety as if they're on the same scale. Right. Right. And that's what they're after. Right. You know, it, it's interesting. And I, I do want to, I know, I know there's many people who are, who are in the chat on the live stream or who message me after the show when they listen to the podcast who are like, you know, you're having this conversation, but you know, Facebook's private company, they can make a decision about whatever they want. They could ban whatever they want. They could let anyone on, oh, let yeah. anyone off. And of course that, that, let me put that up front. Of course, Facebook could decide to do whatever they want on their platform, but <laughs> They've made these rules and set up this system for themselves where they are saying we don't want to abide to that. Basically, we want to be treated as if there are courts and rules and guidelines and regulations where we actually can't do that. So I just want to put that addendum out there that we're having this conversation bound to how Facebook views themselves. There is not a single person that exists, that has the right to be on this platform. Not one person. No matter their status, no matter their situation, this is a private company, and no one has the right. And it's really funny to me, while people demand free speech and demand the right to be on a platform that they don't own. Right. It's like demanding to be in a property that you don't own. Right. If it's a government property, fine. You might, we might have an argument about that government property, um, like we just had on <laughs> January 6th. Like, there's certain boundaries you cannot cross. Right. That's illegal. Right. Right? But is the, is the sidewalk public property? Yeah. Right. Right? You do have a right there. And you can demand a right to be, or you see people fighting over parking spaces. This is a public parking space. Yep. Yeah. You can fight over it, but it's public. Right. A park. Public. Those are things you can fight over and talk about free speech and a right to be in the public square in a public place. Facebook, Twitter, and the like are private companies. Nobody. Millionaires, billionaires, the poorest of the poor has the absolute right to be on these platforms. They can remove any of us at, at will at any moment. And then, by the way, they do it to certain people with, who, which we don't even speak to or have conversations with on a regular basis. Right. So it's very, you know, I, I tell people all the time, just so that we're clear, I got deplatformed from YouTube in 2009 for speaking up about diversity in tech. Right. They, they decide they, all the time. So, and, and, 10, so at least 10 plus years with me not being able to upload a single video on their platform because I was talking about diversity. That was something to be removed for. But, you know, Alex Jones and conspiracy theorists can live forever. But, you know, me talking about diversity or experiences that women of color have in tech, well, that's a problem. Right. And we need to deplatform her for that. Right. So we're not talking. This is why I have a problem with the way that people are trying to speak about this. They're talking about things that um, are in context of what they think they have the right to while ignoring all the people who have who've been removed that you don't even hear about because they're not classified as important or grew enough of a following. 
Like I couldn't grow. I ten years. I could have. It's past ten years now. I could have gr- grown a flower from two thousand nine to present. Right. Right. You know that's, right. That's... I, I could have built a. I, I could have built a whole community, but right. my opportunity to do that, even to monetize, was removed. While everyone else thinks that they have the right to it. Right. That's what's different about this conversation. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that was 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 that Facebook itself brought up when they punted this case to the oversight board is that, you know, Trump is a a political leader, an influential person on our platform. And, you know, the oversight board basically said, you got to treat everybody the same on your platform. Why are you, you know, you come up with these rules and 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 basically the penalties need to be laid out. To and every, equal. Yes, e- equally. Like, I mean, we're going to comply. Obviously, we, we've already knocked the, the oversight board and what it really means. But at the same time, in this specific case, I, you know, the oversight board actually blew up in, in, their, in Facebook's face, I think, and actually made uh, points that I think a lot of people wanted uh, to make themselves and were shocked to see the oversight board make this make these, uh, you know, the oversight board, I think, actually made uh, some points that the real Facebook oversight board would have made, made themselves if you guys had to make this ruling, you know? Um, but, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, Facebook gave Trump this designation of newsworthiness, and that's why all these years they couldn't do anything about him and what he said on the platform. And, I mean... I sort of get that argument in terms of like, you know, people need to hear what certain people say, maybe, but, but. I don't agree with that argument at all. Right, right, right. You know, finish if you want to finish, but I can tell you I do not agree with any of those arguments at all. Right, right. I mean, I get what they're saying, but in my opinion, I mean, you're running a platform. How are you going to straight up tell certain people, certain users that some users are more important than others uh, straight up like that. It's just bizarre. Like, it's one thing to say, like, this user reached a certain viewership and subscriber base, so we will now monetize their content. That's a bonus you get for success on our platform. It's another thing to say success on our platform means you can break the rules. Yes. That's what they're saying. That, that if, if you get if you are successful enough to bring us enough traffic, enough energy, enough news, media attention and the like, then our rules don't apply to you. That's literally what they're saying. And that doesn't matter if he's, if, you know, sitting in the Oval Office or if he's um, a conspiracy theorist or a white supremacist. They're saying if you can bring this kind of traction for us, we'll bend the rules for you. And that in itself is a fundamental flaw of the system because that's why they're pushing back on the moderation penalties because they're not applied consistently or across all users. They are pick, they're, they're basically pick and choosing. And this case says that out loud. They're picking and choosing. They're even picking and choosing which part of the content they're going to decide to, to, uh, to use to, as a reason to suspend or not. Like, they're not even, they, they didn't go back all, all four years and look at all the other places he incited violence because there's some clear aspects. And we just talked about the looting starts and shooting starts, but there's others. And and the fact that um, they're saying, well, we're going to pick this one moment because something bad happened at the Capitol and that bad, what happened bad at the Capitol basically happened to other politicians. 
and was an impact on our government and an impact on our election process. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to take a pause and now take a look at this. But everything else before that is fine. Right. And so so to me, it's like, you know, I have this comment about the whole they, they, they their old model was move fast and break things. Like, yeah, they move fast and they break democracies, too. And they're like, whoa, 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 after we break it and then figure out how to come up with a solution that isn't quite exactly a fix. But, hey, we're coming up with something and, and just understand that we are trying our best. And that's what we get, like, all the time. Apology after apology after apology. Um, nothing really changing dramatically. Nothing being fixed, really. Um, but just enough, just enough to move on to the next conversation. And so what I feel about this is that this is going to be seen as the most high profile thing. Well, like if you think about it, this is one person. However, the impact of of this person on on, on millions of users' lives is not being calculated in this data set. Right. Right. That's the other part that's, that's missing. We're not talking about that part. Like we're talking about the content being moderated and impressions and the like. But just think about that. If you think about from the context of like the anti-vaxxer and the stop to steal, like that is an impact on millions of people now that believes a whole set of disinformation just because that it was able to be spread without unfettered and, um, and unchecked on their platform. Like we're not having that conversation. That's the conversation we're actually avoiding by having this quote unquote insurrection conversation. Right. I mean, I mean, that's a great point. And and you brought up the uh, the anti-vaxxer stuff. And I, I honestly think, you know, when we talk about uh, uh, content that he uh, that's unquestionable, undeniable. We obviously we mentioned how, you know, you could debate about what he said on January 6th. To me, the undeniable we, there are people there are people who literally died from taking his advice during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was, to me, nothing more dangerous than what he was saying during that time period. And not only did they not ban him, they didn't even temporarily suspend him. They just let Mm -hmm. it go. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know... Knowing the information was incorrect, knowing people were believing the things he was saying and not doctors... My understanding that even people in other countries right. were were dying believing the things that he was saying. Like it, again, the impact part of this conversation we're not really having. Um, and I feel like the way that people are talking about this about that this is about free speech. Let me just say what I said at the um, at the interview at the, at the presser yesterday. It's like when you're arguing the point that someone who's in government, a politician. Someone's holding the position of the Oval Office has more right to speak than its citizens. We're no longer talking about free speech or the First Amendment because the First Amendment is about Congress should not be making laws that does not allow me as a citizen to speak up against the Congress or any other politician without being punished. If you're saying that he had more rights on this platform, you're saying the government had more rights for freedom of speech against its citizens. Right. And you're turning the First Amendment on its head. Right. Right. And that's not to leave it there. But if anyone who's trying to argue that point, that's a false narrative by itself. No politician 
every politician who thinks they have the right to be on Facebook or Twitter over citizens, that their power of political speech, which keeps being, um, di- you know, uh, what's the word I want to say, um, diluted to, as if politicians aren't the government, every individual politician works for the government, i.e. they are the government. So if you're trying to tell me they're an individual in this moment, that doesn't make any sense. Now that he's no longer in office, we can have a different debate about that. But the first movement of that was that government should be should have this right, which is why he had that right for four years. Right. right. And, and, we're, and that's the problem with the conversation about free speech. It's, it's being, um, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's being... Um, it's it's being misconstrued to try to make a point that is disingenuous. Right. And, 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 you know, that, that I think brings in their current, uh, crusade against, uh, section two thirty. Yeah. Because, because I, I don't think, you know, I don't think some of them, obviously, you know, the, the Marjorie Taylor greens and the Lauren Boebert's of the world probably do think the constitution gives them the right to be on Facebook. But, there are people who are smarter, uh, not to give them too much credit, like the Ted Cruz's of the Republican Party, who who know they don't have a right to be on Facebook. But that's why they're having this crusade against Section 230, because in my estimation, they view it as, you know, we're, we're losing this battle. The things that our side of the ideological spectrum are saying are breaking these guidelines on these platforms and we're getting people, you know, people are getting banned. People aren't able to spread their misinformation and conspiracy theories. They're, you know, right wing talking points. And so that leaves these platforms to everybody else. Now, if we convince everybody that Section 230 is the problem, then we are leveling the playing field because right now these platforms are you know a utility or a weapon for the other side to use that we don't have access to because we're all getting banned. Uh, if Section 230 is taken away and these platforms are more careful and take down uh, anything they feel like could cross the line and get them sued or just frankly just view everything before it's posted so nothing gets posted in real time, who knows what they would decide without Section 230, you know, we are basically leveling the field. They can't say their, you know, their their left wing viewpoints, their Democratic Party viewpoints, and uh, we we don't. They don't have a tool that we don't have. That's what I think this whole Section Two Thirty uh, battle comes from, at least from the smarter people of the Republican Party and on the right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Section Two Thirty is going to get us into a whole bunch of different debates. But let me let me keep it simple. There are people on the right and the left who believe that Section 230 needs to be revamped. Um, I believe so. Shana has ba- basically come up with some framing. I have a friend, Daniel Citron, who actually thinks that Section 230, as it is, could be used the way it is to still get at some of the problems that we're having. I think that the same way I feel about some of the laws that we already have in, in place, there's plenty of laws. Like, for example, just really simply, um, you cannot, um, you know, it. Um, threaten somebody's life on the uh, in, in person. Like if you were in, and I were in front of each other, and you threatened my life, you can get arrested for doing that, right? All right. But if we do it on the platform, somehow that law doesn't apply, right? So I'm saying that we're we aren't even as Americans consistent about the way we apply, apply these things across the board. 
So the Section 230 argument, I, you know, I can say that I, I believe that Section 230 should be uh, revamped. However, the reason that, uh, you know, those uh, on, on in, in uh, agent, I have a name for him, but I shouldn't say it on air, he, um, that, that uh, our former president um, uh, wanted was because he did not want to have to be banned or suspended. He wanted to be able to say and do whatever he wanted. And he also actually, at one point, I forget which bill it is, um, forgive me for not remembering, he didn't want to sign the, one of those bills that was coming through because he wanted Section 230 to be added. Like, he was not going to sign it right. until Section 230 was I added. I remember what it, you're talking about, right. I can't remember which one it is right now, but it was, like, one of the most high-profile things that um, was problematic. And I, you know what? I think this is the one... Please, like, we have to probably go back and, and, and do comments later. It was the it was the stimulus checks and the defense bill. He wanted Section 230, 230 and, and the defense bill. And, and he vetoed it to get it back in there. And then they they have voted against him on that, and they passed those bills. Like, the fact that he went that far for Section 230 is a tell for everyone. Because if he's going that far... There's a reason why he wants to go that far. Uh, that will honestly, though, my point of view: if, we, if we're going to cut military spending over Section 230, I'm fine with that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so thank you for reminding me that because I remember it was like this was so high profile that that like he was literally vetoing a defense bill. Like just imagine a party who who spends all their money on defense that this man was going to veto a bill so that he can get Section 230 added. Right. That that just tells you, and, he, and that's the leverage he thought he had to be able to make that happen. So that in itself should make everyone's eyelids go out, right? Like, whoa, like that should be like a shocker. Like that's some big deal that he would go that far. If you understand politics and understand, like this was the only congressional veto against him. And it was because of Section 230. Right. Right. Um, so, 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 when you see other people in his party still arguing the Section Two Thirty argument, you understand that they have a whole different track that they're after. Now, um, the, my opinion about this is, is is that I again I think that there are things that we can do with Section Two Thirty in place. Like I said, um, one of the, one of the best experts on this is Daniel Citron, who's who's, who's testified um, before. Um, Congress about the ways in which she thinks it can be done. I think there are very smart people who are working on this in different ways. I do think I always worry about the fact that if we open up the can of worms of Section 230, then the, this other part we ha will have more of a problem with than the like. I, I do think that that's a question about where we are as a country at, at a certain point, because I think we're going to be way more divided. So getting some kind of decent Section 230, you know, bill passed. I, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. It, 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 in my opinion, in terms of it helping um, American citizens. Right, right. Yeah, Section 230 is this, 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 you know, this bill. I mean, I'm, again, I, you know, I'm not an expert on what could be fixed, but as is. I mean, it is the the reason why we're able to basically post on these platforms in real time because it basically protects these platforms from from lawsuits based on what third parties what we say for yeah. example the users right say which makes sense i mean obviously if you think about it it's logical it's not that it's not that far off so like like i so for others who don't understand section 230 in this in the context for these 
platforms is that the way it, it the, the argument is, is Facebook a publishing, a publisher, a media outlet, or is it something else? And so all of these platforms have, 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 have basically said that they, they are, um, their, their content is user generated, which means that you are producing the content. They're not producing it. Um, which is why they also get really nervous about curating any content, i.e. content moderation, because then they're dictating. And they're trying to say, if if it's really user-generated content, that's the argument, if it's really user-generated content, then you should not be touching anybody's content, which is just um, another disingenuous argument. It's one thing to say, you know, we're allowing people to speak and we're not going to dictate their speech. It's another thing to say, we're allowing people to speak, but we're also going to allow death threats, incitement of violence, and hate hate speech, and you know, um, uh, images of of, uh, of 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 child porn, which you know can't be done. Right. And and you yeah, know, section other- two thirty doesn't cover that. It's like you still have to. The platforms still have to. They have a, a, a like a, a reasonable amount of time to take that stuff down because Section Two Hundred and Thirty says that and obviously it's not going to cover your right. you know these companies' asses to to post illegal stuff. It just gives them right. an opportunity to remove it. But you know, I'm I'm glad you you brought that up too because you know and, and here when I uh, when I mean it I'm talking about whether they're a publisher or a platform or you know or media company and you know whenever this conversation comes up this is my this is my my personal belief on these things. I mean, obviously, again, with things that are clearly illegal, those things need to be taken down. But to me, you know, when conservatives say they want this great big free speech platform that anyone's allowed to say whatever they want as long as it's legal and, you know, the platforms shouldn't do anything about it. I mean, if that site existed, if there was some sort of Wild West free for all site, it possibly could work if the company didn't put their thumb on the scale like every other company that's existed that has a platform does this. And what I mean is, is that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all these companies, when they see content getting engagement, they promote it. This content doesn't gain this following organically. On its own. Now we we discuss organic and paid advertising online. You know, organic as like, oh, you know, you didn't pay for it. But no, nothing really is organic in terms of how it gets out there. Like when you look at the top Facebook posts every day, Ben Shapiro and Dan Bongino aren't the most popular pages on Facebook organically. Now they're not paying for it, but Facebook is promoting this stuff because they live off of making money on this controversial content. Whenever there's engagement, they go, oh, we need to show this to more people who like this sort of content. And I mean, that fictional website I mentioned that doesn't put its fingers on the scale, like you wouldn't be going down a rabbit hole because just because someone watches a Ben Shapiro video doesn't mean they'd be shown an Alex Jones video followed by Donald Trump's latest campaign video. I mean, that's what these platforms did. And they've created this monster where there is no going back. You could never have this fictional platform I just made up that, you know, that didn't put its finger on the scale because once it's done, it's done. Uh, well, there's been some that's popped up. They have not been successful like IE Parlor and others, but okay. 
Well, Parler does. If you look at their their, if you go to their site, the first thing you see on their website, if when you're not following a single person, are people they are they want you to follow and 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 watch and listen to. Like then, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Like, like there's still suggestions. They're suggesting people to you. Right. Like if that's you, what you mean. Like if you just had like an open like WordPress platform. Obviously, that's why WordPress isn't a social is considered a social media platform because. It didn't blow up that way. But like, you know, if, you know, and I'm sure there's some terrible stuff you could find on WordPress.com, but because it wasn't suggested to the broader public, i.e. wasn't discoverable beyond maybe a few hundred people who yeah. went out of their way to find this stuff in the first place, it didn't really cause a problem. It didn't cause a public crisis. It didn't cause people to die or, you know, um, uh, at least at a scale that would be uh, uh, worrisome and problematic. Um, you know, so, so what I'm saying is that like these companies do sort of test section 230 when they promote these, these, um, this content, like, like I said, Ben Shapiro and Dan Bongino, the, the world is not clamoring for Ben Shapiro's latest takes. It just so happens that enough people on Facebook engaged with content that they felt would be, uh, adjacent to Ben Shapiro's content recommended it to all those people and over the years facebook's accumulated all those types of people on their platform due to those suggestions driving people there and now we're left with the top people on their platform being dan Bongino and ben shapiro so i get that i see what you're saying in terms of like the thumb uh the scale thing i think that um I think that recommendations is something that people operate from in sense of like, well, if I go down this path, I get recommended this. I mean, sometimes I get, you know, I get recommended people. I don't even know why I'm being recommended. Like I didn't engage with them. I don't know, you know, where, like, I don't, I don't even think I engage with content. Um, but I do think that that was part of the original model because I think it was based on the ad model. And I think that that's the thing that we're probably talking about. It's, I'm not thinking that I don't think it's recommendations, so to speak, in terms of um, this is, you know, this is this is hard. You know, this is this is co content that's getting a whole like like in the beginning with Facebook. Like one of the things that used to happen to me because I was a, a girl was that the things that got recommended to me was anything that was about a girl dating, getting married and 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 um, and um, um, uh, what's weight loss or something along those lines, right? Like they, they were taking certain parts of, you know, which is what they do in the profiles that they can figure out how to, you know, send ads your way. And I think that that level of what they took that level and then and splashed it into the content level. And that's what we're seeing. I don't think it's exactly the, the thumb of the scale that way. And I think that if we argue the question with them, which we don't talk a lot about, is that if we actually dug deeper in the ad model piece of this, which is where they get most of their money, that's the conversation we really need to be having because it's like we keep jumping over like the political ad conversation, right? When um, several organizations tried to get um, companies to stop paying for ads on the platform for a little while, I think it was like for June or July of last year, if I'm not mistaken, um, that, that, you know, Facebook was like, well, it's not that big of a deal and, and, and these people will come back. I honestly think if we had a better sense of what that ad model was, we would know why these recommendations are happening this way because I, I, I believe personally it's more based on that ad model, which is the original model, than it is anything else. Oh, for for sure, that is totally why they do it. Like they don't, 
they don't really care that like, oh, uh, I saw that you're a big fan of uh, Chris Hayes' MSNBC show. We really want to recommend that you check out The Young Turks because we, we care about what you want. No, 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 of course not. It's totally about, oh, these people are on our platform. They keep interacting with this one thing. Eventually, they'll get tired of that one thing or, or whatever. We need to rec- keep recommending them new things that are like the thing that we know they like. Mm-hmm. So they stay on here and keep engaging. And while they're doing all this, we keep raking in ad revenue because we're showing them ads throughout this whole time period. Ad, ad revenue and data mining. That's the that's the business model conversation that the oversight board is not focused on. That's that's the other part of the conversation. And to me, sometimes they were deflected on these other pieces. <coughs> Sorry, they were not having a we're not having a conversation where we should be focusing on. Right. And so let's let's um oh we we went into this great conversation about all these uh, different uh, tech you know big tech issues more broadly. But let's let's now talk about how. Um, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, the oversight... Time flies when we talk about stuff like this, doesn't it? It sure does, yeah. Uh, I want to, you know, I I almost want to say when we're having fun, and we are, but I think, you know, the conversation, uh, the the topics of the conversation aren't really all that... (laughs) Woo, yeah, we're having a great time! (laughs) Um, But, you know, it is really interesting because I I think we are uh, in this area now where... We are talking about uh, well, not us obviously specifically. We just talked about the broader topic, but the the uh, you know the national conversation is so focused on you know people like Trump and other big personalities that they do lose sight of how these policies affect everybody uh, more broadly. You know, especially um, like you mentioned before with your own experience. And, you know, when Trump went after Black Lives Matter protesters and Mark Zuckerberg came out and said that 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 language that clearly was a dog whistle has no history of being a dog whistle. I mean, it's like they don't quite I mean, with Zuckerberg, when he says something like that, I don't know. Like, you know, to me, it's possible. It would not surprise me that he truly is completely oblivious to those issues. Um but because uh, I don't think I mean, you, I, I don't think he's that uh, he's that in touch with uh, people, to be honest. Uh, I think when you're that wealthy at such a young age, you completely lose sight of what normal everyday people uh, think and what they go through. Um, I'm not giving that him a, a pass by far. I'm just saying uh, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be crazy to me that it never even crossed his mind. Um, I'm sure people have said something to him about this stuff in the office, but who knows with him? Um, I, I know you probably don't agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I think he knows. I, I, I think, I think there's a difference between knowing and caring that, that, that I think there's a difference between those two conversations, like knowing, being informed, having the empathy to care and wanting to do something about it. That's what the question is, because if he's constantly saying I'm sorry and not much is changing, well, I, that sorry seems hollow, and I'm not sure that there's empathy that goes behind some of these things. And that's to me um, the difference. I mean, when you're when you're in a business where you know people are dying because of something that's happening on your platform, and you still want to just keep the bottom line. Um, you know, we've had plenty of corporations in this country that has done that over and over again. So I'm not saying it's just him. I'm just saying that um, 
I, I think there's a difference between actually knowing and then actually caring. Right. I agree with that. I think that's the correct uh, assessment of Zuckerberg. Um, now, you know, how how do we go forward now, I think, in terms of what we're looking at? Obviously, we have uh, Facebook has these six months. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me that they uh, pick either or. Um, but I think... Um, hmm. What, 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 what do you, first of all, what do you think, in your opinion, they're going to go with here? You, you mean in terms of what they're going to eventually do in terms of the decision? Yeah. Um, I think they were always kind of leaning toward letting him back on. That's, that's my overall opinion. But some of the language that I saw and things in between, um, that, you know, that, that, the, the, again, the choices that they made for the selection process, the, the aspect of um, like the words that was, you know, that that was chosen, the term indefinite suspension instead of saying banning, like this is all leaning towards not having to ban him. Now, I still think they're going to take the six months. I still think they, sh they should have an answer right now. But if it's only based on the case, then I, I find that problematic. Now, if they have to look at all the years that he was on the platform and deal with it from that perspective, then there's no way he could be let back on right. with the years of breaking the terms of service and breaking the rules and community standards. But so, then they are stuck in that, what we were talking about uh, like an hour ago. And then, but then, but yeah. then having to deal with that. Like, I don't, let me just, let me, let me just be clear. I don't think they ever want any of their rules clear and cut and dry at all, ever. Um, and, and they don't want that because then they feel like they're, they're, they're pigeonholed to some of the decisions that they make. And, that, and those decisions can be used against them in different situations. So, I, you know, I think they're you know, trying to keep themselves out of trouble in, in, in so many ways by kind of leaving things so loose. But it is very clear that even, even in many of the decisions that they make, it's inconsistent. And everyone has said it's inconsistent. So are you going to follow your own terms of service and, and community standards or are you not to me that's the bigger question and if you're not right if you if your oversight board suggests this and then you still don't you know and you still don't do it and you still don't set down the rules and penalties as it should be applied to every single person on your platform then to me at that point i think we're dancing towards closer to regulation and and i'm and i know that that's what they're trying to avoid and to me that's the reason why they're dancing this line uh, with politicians because they've been trying to avoid regulation. Right. And th that's, that's the thing too, to be like these, you know, and, and I, and you see it online with some of these uh, free speech uh, pundits on social media. They, they, they focus on the free speech issue uh, at their hatred of big tech, which we've already discussed makes zero sense. Now, if you really think big tech is this horrible thing, which it certainly is at, at various uh, points, uh, you know, then the obvious thing to focus on is their power, their the monopoly some mm -hmm. of these companies, especially Facebook, has over the industry. The fact that Zuckerberg can look at an up-and-coming uh, platform that could possibly give them a run for their money and provide people with a new place to go so they're not beholden to Facebook and say... 
this platform is, uh, I don't like it. I don't want them to have the ability to share their links on my platform. And I'm thinking about what uh, came out, what Zuckerberg did to uh, Vine when he saw Vine getting popular and how it was using basically like your Facebook friends to, you know, say, hey, I'm on Vine and we're friends on Facebook. Check me out. He blocked their ability to do that, uh, which is a huge problem because he specifically targeted Vine to do that. It's not like he was just like, you know, this feature is no longer what we want on Facebook, so no one can do this. No, he specifically targeted a specific competitor that he saw doing this. I mean, that's a real problem. And these free speech warriors... No, he's, he's, he's done that across the board. He's targeted competitors and then tried to come up with their own... I mean, they're trying to come up with their own clubhouse version, right? Now, I mean, the thing is, is that um, that's part of the business model piece that we're still not talking about but also again about this regulation i mean people don't some people don't know that like they're like i'm gonna leave facebook and go to instagram well instagram is facebook too right so is whatsapp it's like it's not understanding that these platforms are interconnected um and that to me is also very interesting so i do think that there are people um on the hill that's talking about you know breaking up big tech and i think that comes from multiple sides too i don't think that's a single-sided issue um i do think that um, there is a little bit, in my opinion, when you have that level of power and you have that level of ability to lobby, excuse me, and change legislation, I have a problem with that. I mean, and but that's a that's an American standard that I can't, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? Like right. that, we know that many companies lobby for regulation that is beneficial to them or no regulation at all, um, and so. You know, it's, you know, I've heard him speak about they agree with regulation. They just their issue is like what type of regulation. Right. That's they're They're saying two things at the same time. So I, I, I would say, that, you know, they're, they're worried about the antitrust suit and they're worried about any kind of possible regulation, which is why they're giving weight to certain um, voices, which is not how the platform should operate. Um, and that to me is where we should be having more conversation. Right. I mean, if, if, you know, if you look at it like that would be the most uh, effective route to go after Facebook. I mean, just look at you mentioned they own WhatsApp and Instagram, and obviously both of those are insanely successful. And those are two insanely successful platforms they own. Uh, and they're the only successful platforms they own besides Facebook because they purchased a competitor. Whenever Facebook has gone out of their way to try to just copy someone else and create their own thing. It's failed, again, other than the main Facebook platform, but that's a whole different beast because it was coming up during a totally different time where it was sort of an open, you know, it was an open uh, market there. Um, but, you know, their, their, their TikTok competitor failed. Facebook Watch was supposed to be their YouTube competitor. And while it is, like, still, still you know, chugging along, it's nowhere near YouTube. I mean, they just – their most successful way to compete is just buy other companies. And that's sort of where Instagram and WhatsApp came in. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, for, for the – you know, for the average person, I guess um, – what do you think they should watch in terms of how uh, Facebook's upcoming, I guess, um, policy decisions will affect them? Uh, obviously, they're going to they're going to um, in the next six months, they are going to. And I, I do agree with you. It'll probably be in exactly six months. They really? are going to. And it's funny enough because, you know, the oversight board is told they can't uh, make any binding um, policy uh, rules. But in their 
their ultimatum to Facebook. They basically are in, are forcing Facebook to uh, listen to some of their policy suggestions by picking something. Like, how do you think that's going to affect people uh, more broadly? Like, you know, you mentioned earlier, and unfortunately we didn't get too into this, but, you know, maybe it's for the best because this really should be its own episode, how these policies uh, affect uh, marginalized groups. Yes. Um, and so maybe it's best we didn't, like, talk about it for, like, 10, 20 minutes at the, the end of this uh, discussion. Um, you know, how do you think that's going to affect them? Because, you know, like we mentioned, those January 6th comments from Trump, you know, it's debatable depending on context and stuff. It's not outright, uh, you know, this stuff should not be on here, like shooting uh, the shooting and the looting comment and his COVID-19 stuff. But like, you know, what we're going to see probably when Facebook says, OK, here's here's the guidelines as closely to written in stone as we'll get them. I mean, clearly, in my estimation, this is going to affect how people support, uh, you know, protest groups like uh, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. It's going to affect, um, I mean, the thing about what Facebook does, which is really interesting in terms of the way in which they see themselves, is that they'll use, like, the amplification or the organizing of Black Lives Matter as the good thing that they've, you know, that their platform has done, that they have helped elevate the small guy, um, while at the same time elevating the guys that harm them, right? It's like, it's the two-side thing that they constantly do, Um so when I think about their policies, I think about the ways in which they typically say, um, here's, here's, here's the way that I feel like they operate in terms of these conversations on policy. Um, they look at policy from either po uh, politicians, legislation side versus uh, civil rights. And to me, um, I feel like, again, the same way that I feel about the free speech argument up against safety, right? Those two things should not be next to each other, right? But when you think about some of the policies that Facebook looks at, they are concerned about like what politicians are going to say. So even like even some of their current standards of uh, 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 political ads, they are basically saying that politicians' campaigns, uh, in terms of running for office and their political ads, is the same as the group of people who are trying to get citizens out to vote. They're not equal. Right. There's a completely different power dynamic. Right. So when I think about the way they, you know, institute policies, that's what I see. Because there should not be some phase that there's a line equal between these two things. Trying to get people out to vote is a basic principle, an American principle. Not everybody should be running for office and not everyone who's running for office should have an opportunity to run whatever ads they want, even with disinformation, no matter who they are. Right. But that is a different argument. And it should not be balanced with the people who are working to get, get out the vote. Getting out the vote is completely different. The getting out the vote is not about a politician. Right. It's not connected to politicians. It's about every, every right of an American every American should have is the right to vote. So that should not be something that has to be party affiliated, but more importantly, should not be campaign affiliated. Right. right. And so when I see what Facebook does in terms of these policies, that's the balance I see. And it's an imbalance. It's not equal. Right. 
you know, I, I'm so glad you brought up the the political campaign uh, advertising issue they had because uh, I, I I had forgotten about it, but um, I even covered it too uh, when when it, when it was going on. It was so even when it comes to that policy, uh, it, it, they 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 got it completely backwards, mm-hmm. where they were like, listen, if if a, you know if you were going to post something that was clearly misinformation on our platform. Uh, we wouldn't allow it, you know. T- uh, you know, voting misinformation. We wouldn't allow it. But if you're a politician and you're paying for it, you know, we'll we'll let. It. That's like the reverse of what I think most other companies would say. I th- like obviously you wouldn't want it on either. But I could see a company saying, "Listen, you organically post it. We're not taking money for it. So you know, we'll let it. We'll let it slide." But we are not going to make money off of these terrible lies you're spreading. They were saying, listen, you can't post it for free, but if you pay us, you can. It was the most baffling thing ever. Exactly. It was exactly the point. And then, and then they used the whole, like, well, everyone needs to know what politicians are actually saying. Well, that's cover. It's, 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 it's a complete opposite. And again, if users can't spread, you know, voting disinformation... And we have a whole campaign on this. So let me plug my campaign, which you see the logo in the back. It's called Stop Digital Vote Suppression. Um, if you're if you're spreading disinformation and 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 specifically, di- you know, uh, digital vote suppression and you know, it, 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 uh, tactics, uh, that should be something that like that should be an equal playing field conversation. Nobody should be doing it, right? right. But if you're saying to me that a politician running a campaign whether he's in office, excuse me, or trying to get into office, that somehow you're not going to check, one, not, you're not going to check the the ad, and two, you're fine with it because you're making money off of it. Well, you still tell me your ad model is still more important. That's what I hear. Right. Like the thing that we need to target is the thing that you're still letting go because there's no way that you should allow. I mean, and just think about it. That after the fact that they got got taken by Russia with rubles, with political ads, and somehow they're like, oh, we're just not going to mo-, like all of a sudden you're not going to monitor it, particularly when it's American politicians. Like that sounds a little bit odd, right? Like logically, as a decision, that doesn't really add up, right? Yeah, they are really um, constantly coming up with the worst. Uh- <laughs> Worst way to solve something. It's just, uh, you know, I just still can't get over it. Like, you know, a, a news organization can have a, a politician on the show and show their ad in order to uh, call them out, hold their feet to the fire, discuss the contents of it. But that same uh, network can say, we are not going to take your money to air this. Like, it was right. just, it's just so, it was just so, like, bizarre. They get to pick and choose which yeah. ads they, they accept. Let's right. just be honest. And even sometimes even they are a little bit sketchy about which ones they accept, right? right. But there is also, by the way, there, there's also some level of legislation about those ads and, the, and that placement. That Like, that part's true, which is why there has been some legislation about honest ads uh, that um, Amy Klobuchar and, the, and a couple others, I think Mark Warner, was trying to introduce over this. They were That was last year. I haven't seen it for this Congress uh, I'm sorry, the last Congress. I don't. I don't think I've seen it come back up for this Congress. But um, that's why they were trying to get at that because they wanted to have a sense of who's paying for these ads, where's the money coming from, and you have to disclose that when you're doing TV ads. 
You right. don't have to disclose that here. And to me, that's another example. Like these, that's another ad conversation that we could have. Um, but that's, you know, but, but when I, when you asked me about policies, I haven't seen them, uh, choose a policy that would help all users. They're choosing policies that only help certain users, in my opinion. And that's going to be the standard that goes forward. So I don't see why they wouldn't put him back on. And unless, you know, for everyone to know, like when he was removed from Twitter and both, um, Facebook, um, 70% of the disinformation, you know, stream dropped. Right. right. Disinformation, not just content stream, but disinformation. And that should be like another bell that goes off. But like, I know people won't get that because they won't understand that this man was not telling the truth the entire time, even though he was sitting in the Oval Office. Um, and, you know, it was, it was driving me crazy to see media constantly airing his lies. It was like, stop airing that live. Like, like you want to counter it after it's aired. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like if you're allowing disinformation to spread and then figuring out like, oh, we need to take this person off the platform because they're problematic after they've grown the following and spread spread the disinformation first. That doesn't make any sense. Again, I was the platform for talking about diversity in tech. Right. So it's like, you know, you're picking and choosing which content is acceptable. And that part's also clear. Um, But the last thing I want to say is that this concept that somehow his speech is being taken from him. He's sitting in the Oval. He gets to say whatever he wants. Well, he was sitting in the Oval. <laughs> was. I'm, I'm sorry. He was. When, when this ruling came down, that wasn't changing his... It still doesn't change his ability to speak. He's still putting out statements. How was it stopping him from putting out his statements? Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. It, you'll you'll see it all the time. Fox News will go. The president's speech is being uh, censored, and uh, he's unable to talk to his followers and his people uh, on Facebook and Twitter, and his communication is completely cut off. Coming up next, we'll talk to the president live on national TV exactly. to get his thoughts. I like, mean, I'm sorry. We're, like he's talking. Right. Right. I mean, he's got plenty. I mean, he could he could literally I mean, he former president of the United States already was uh, regardless of exactly how much money he had already was obscenely wealthy. He could easily start his own platform and say, well, what I don't the hell know. Like, we might have to question how obscenely wealthy he really was. Cause those taxes being revealed like there's some some reasons why he chose to do certain things while he was in office. And I'm not sure it has everything to do with him being extremely wealthy. Right. Well, I I come from the belief that there are certain people who reach a status of elite. uh, And once they reach that status, they can lose all their money. But everyone around them will keep their lifestyle floating. Like the the very rich will never... Never get back down to the, you know, he could lose all of his money and it's not like all of a sudden we'll be laughing at, you know, Trump living in squalor or something because he's just. You think that's so? Just, that's just how it know. is. That's just how it is. Uh, at least that's my uh, my take on things. But uh, this was truly a fantastic, you know, I was joking before about how it's not really fun, but it really was a fun conversation. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Shirlene Mitchell, founder of Stop Online Violence Against Women and member of the Real Facebook Oversight Board. Now, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you and where they mm-hmm. can uh, catch your work? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for letting me do that. Um, so you can go to our website, which is stoponlinevaw.com. Stoponlinevaw.com. Um, you can also, if you want to learn about our project, uh, go to Stop Voter Depression 
well, the depression, sorry, buildthisdepression.net so you can see what our project is there. Um, but you can find me anywhere online as Digital Sista. I'm the original Digital Sista. So Digital Sista with an A, D-I-G-I-T-A-L-S-I-S-T-A. And you can find me just about every platform that exists because I always go on the platforms early to at least get my name. So, right. um, because I'm the original and I gotta keep it. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, so, so I, I enjoyed this conversation. Um, you can probably see some of the content from the Real Facebook Oversight Board as well there on, on that site. Um, we're gonna keep plugging away at this um, and trying to make a difference. And the work that we do is to try to make a difference um, in terms of um, elections with our digital voter suppression project. So, um, you know, keep us, you know, in like check us out and and help spread the word. Uh, thank you so much, Shirley. And I will. I, I'll be monitoring what, uh, especially what the uh, the take is in six months when we uh, find out exactly what Facebook decides. Uh, hope you'll come on again uh, in the future. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great night. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to uh, the second half of the show. There's a lot more coming up. We've got uh, videos that are truly uh, you'll want to stick around for. Uh, I have some clips for you that, I mean, you've probably heard about what's going on in Arizona with this audit, but I don't think you are uh, quite aware of how bizarre this audit is. Uh, for those of you who are out of the loop, I'll explain it all to you in the second half of the show. Uh, that second half of the show, you can stick around if you're watching on the live stream. Otherwise, you can catch the replay by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash That's how you could support this show. That's patreon.com slash uh, show is growing shortly, slowly but surely. That's what I wanted to say. Not surely, but slowly. That doesn't make any sense. And uh, I want to give a shout out to some of the people who became patrons over this last... Uh, where is this? Hold on one second. Let me pull this up. This last week, since we did a show uh, last Thursday... And those people are. <clears throat> uh, it's going. Uh, my my computer is frozen. Here we go. Uh, Tyler S, George R, Frank K, Jonathan P, and Melbo. Thank you so much for supporting the show and becoming patrons. Could not do this show without my patrons. Uh, you can also support this show by subscribing at youtube.com slash mattbinder. Uh, you can also follow the show at twitch.tv slash mattbinder. Uh, the show is simulcast, so you can watch it on either platform. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and wherever you are on social media. Usually I'm at mattbinder. If not, just search mattbinder and I will most definitely come up. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, doomedcast.com for the podcast version of the show. Uh, for you audiophiles who prefer listening to the show on the go instead of watching the video version of the show, uh, you could uh, listen on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, 
and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, ready for this, uh, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, you can leave a review for this show by going to ratethispodcast.com slash doomed. That's ratethispodcast.com slash doomed. And what will happen is it will present you, this, this link will present you with a number of apps where you can leave a review for the show. Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, CastBox. Uh, they're adding more as we speak, but those are the ones that are up there now. And that way you can easily go, click any of these uh, links, and be taken right to the show page on those platforms. You can click the star rating, leave a written review. We broke 300 reviews on Apple Podcasts. I asked you guys to help me do it. You guys pulled through. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, but now we move on to the next uh, uh, goal of those 400 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're already uh, on the way there. We're above 300. We're not even at 300 exactly. We're a few above it. Um, so do that if you can. Those are great ways to support this show. If uh, you cannot do so monetarily, completely understand if that's the case. Don't worry about it. But if you can support the show financially, once again, I implore you, patreon.com slash mattbinder. That's sort of how I rank how the show, how the show is going. When uh, a few people have to have to leave the patron, I sort of go, oh, man, this is this is a bad week, bad week. And then when a few people support the patron, uh, patron, all of a sudden I'm like, this show is going places. I'm feeling really good and psyched about this. The patron really swings my mood all over the place. <laughs> so no pressure. Uh, anyway, I'm going to take a extremely quick break. And if you're sticking around in the live stream, uh, you can call into the show, Doomed Live on Skype. Uh, I will certainly set up Discord and other ways to call into the show. I'm also looking into how to set up, I just got Twitter Spaces, uh, that Twitter audio conversation uh, feature. It just got rolled out into my account. I'm looking into ways how I could use it on this show so you guys can just jump into a Twitter Space and we can discuss on there. Maybe it'll, Maybe it's a separate thing altogether. I don't know. I'm looking into it, seeing how I could use it with you guys. Also, if you are a patron, I am testing out a platform uh, in this next week or two where uh, we will be doing a uh, patron-only uh, sort of hangout in the coming weeks. I'm going to test it out, make sure it's, it's good for what, this is, what I want to do with it. It basically would allow us all on a single video feed. We would see everybody. It'll be fun. And we could talk about whatever you want. Uh, it doesn't have to be even in the realm of the show. It could be just, we could be, we could chit chat like old buddies, even though we're not. Um, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, that's it. I think, uh, that's everything, uh, for now and, uh, stick around if you're on the live stream, uh, more is coming up. Uh, otherwise I will see you all next time on doomed. <laughs>